everyone, my name is Zach, and I'm a first-year medical student at the CUNY School of Medicine. Hey, I'm Amar. I'm a senior at Case Western. And welcome to the MSX podcast, a show about a broad range of topics in medicine, from education to exploring research and contemplating future directions for the field. In each episode, we speak with leaders in the field to learn from their insight and expertise. This week, we have Dr. Manivala, a hospitalist at Lewis Strokes Cleveland VA Medical Center, assistant professor at Case Western School of Medicine. He's also the director of internal medicine acting internship program. Some of his academic interests include medical education, uh, resident wellness, and recruitment. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Could you speak a little bit more about maybe where your passion for, for medical education comes from? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting journey. And I know that's one of the big topics that you guys hope to hit upon during this podcast. But my journey throughout med school, residency, how I got into med ed, it's kind of unusual. It's not something that I like planned on going into. And it's just something that as I kind of went along in med school and residency, it's just something I found that I loved. So when I was in medical school, actually, so I grew up in Kentucky. I'm a, a small town Kentucky boy. You can probably tell by looking at me. Yes, I'm a rural redneck Kentucky hillbilly. But I was in a rural leadership program, actually, in medical school that kind of focused on med ed. And so really, it was like my second, third year of med school where I started to have opportunities to kind of teach at the medical school level, teach classes in a couple of years below me and, and also undergrad students as well. And then when I was applying for residency, I actually targeted programs that have a leadership in med ed tract. So a lot of residency programs in pretty much all fields, internal medicine, pediatric surgery, actually have these combined pathways where you can do a residency training and then primarily focus on medical education. And it's really there where like my love of, of teaching kind of came to fruition. I had a lot of opportunities just kind of throughout those three years of residency where I had opportunities to kind of teach medical students, undergrad students, interns coming in. And it's kind of probably my second year of residency where I knew that that's what I wanted my career to kind of focus around. It, it brought me a lot of joy. And, and I think, you know, for all of us, we all have mentors throughout our journey that like help us to get to where we are. And for me, this was also a way to kind of pay it forward because I know I had incredible mentors along the way. Maybe speak to some of your mentors that you had along the way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think mentors are, is such a, a broad category, right? Like anyone can be a mentor. It doesn't necessarily need to be someone in medicine. It can be just someone you meet in life. So there, there were a couple of people that kind of stood out to me. One was there was a gentleman who was actually dean of my rural leadership program named Dr. Tony Weaver, who ran the program at the University of Kentucky. And so he was kind of my first early mentor who got me into med ed just by the way that he would teach, the way he would interact with us, you know, despite the fact that he had this title and all these accomplishments, he, he still found a way to kind of relate to you. And it made you feel like you were more of a peer and colleague rather than like a superior. And so he was definitely someone that when I looked at, like, this is what a true clinic, a, a clinician educator should look like. And then, you know, so it was based on him that I kind of found my love for teaching in the first place. And then when I went to residency, there were a couple different people some of them being senior residents who I like really looked up to that. I was like, yo, this is who I want to become when I become like a senior. And then obviously, you know, if, if you're familiar with internal medicine at all, Dr. Keith Armitage is like a heavyweight in the medicine world. He's the longest serving internal medicine program director in the country. And, and I was fortunate enough to call him a mentor for, you know, three years in residency and, and, and a big reason when I actually came back from Chicago. So 
those were some of my mentors that just kind of helped me guide throughout the way. But again, I've had so many throughout the course of my life, right, that are even outside of medicine that just kind of helped me grow as a human being and a person. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, in all those people that you saw as mentors, they, you know, you wanted to emulate them, right? And I was wondering, like, what do you find is, are the best qualities to have, like, as a mentee towards your mentor? It's kind of funny. Me, me and Amar actually chit-chatted about this, I think, from the get-go, right? I'm sure we'll talk about Clubhouse later and kind of ways to meet mentors and mentees and form these relationships. But I, I think as a mentee, right, it's it just being curious. We, as a mentee, you're meant to be trying to figure things out. Like you, you don't have, I don't know if I can curse on the show or not, but like, you're not supposed to have your shit figured out. You know, like when I was a 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I was just kind of an eager, young Pakistani kid growing up in rural Kentucky, trying to figure it out just like everyone else. And so I think as a mentee, you want to be curious and open to kind of everything. And I, I was just kind of a sponge trying to soak in all pieces of information that I could. And so when I met someone that I like generally felt like I had an authentic relationship with, it's those type of people that I would try to just learn from their life experiences whether that be, you know, in medicine, and then we'll talk about some kind of interest in the business world. And, and that's just kind of how I, I formed my mentee-mentor relationships. And so be curious, you know, be open and honest to who you are. Like, don't try to conform to what you want your, you know, your mentor, mentor to view you as. Be yourself. I, I think that's one thing that, you know, me and Amar talked about. One of the reasons why we got along so well is he stayed true to himself all along, right? He's not trying to conform to what he thinks that he should be to be a, you know, a future doctor or physician. I love to learn more about maybe what your mentors outside of medicine taught you. Yeah. You know, I have some older brother type figures, you know, I think everyone, especially in the Desi world, you know, I was a first generation immigrant. I didn't have any immediate, you know, beside my immediate family, I didn't have any extended family here. So like my friends kind of became an extension of my family in the States. And I think a lot of immigrants can probably relate to that. And so I had some, some guys who were like older brother, like figures that just, you know, showed me the ropes and taught me like, Hey, these are the mistakes that I made. This is what I wish I could have done differently. Like learn from. Them. Right. And, and I think it's those type of things again, not just in like academic. So I, I had a lot of mentors I looked up to from an academic perspective, like, these are the type of guys I want to aspire to be like in my professional career. But for me, the, the mentors that really helped me in my professional career helped me in life. And, and those were like these older brother, older sister type figures that I had. Again, there's too many of them to kind of name, but it's just more personality traits that I, I really valued and wanted to emulate as well. Yeah. And I think now it has a good time maybe to switch to like the, the medical education, education side of things. So, uh, we met on Clubhouse, um, and for, for those of you that don't know, it's like some audio chatting platform that seems to be dying out with uh, like... Oh, yeah, it was so hot, it's dying out quick, I know. Yeah. When's the last time you were on it? I, I actually, I logged on yesterday for a little bit because I have a couple of friends who are leading the COVID misinformation rooms. So a lot of the medical professionals on Clubhouse are actually leading those. So I always tune in because it's just, it's very entertaining from the COVID naysayers and the physicians. So I tuned in yesterday, but I'm not going to lie. I've kind of died out as well the last couple of weeks. What other tools do you think you see like the, the future of medicine using? Because I know that was a big one with the virtual grand rounds and I was super lucky to attend those as well. Yeah, no, I think 
you know, tech and medical education is so intertwined and I think it is going to be forever that way. Right. And there's so many resources nowadays to continue to expand your medical education. And one of the things that, you know, not only do I tell students, but, you know, I got to frequently remind myself is medicine is forever. It's forever going to change. There's always going to be something new to learn. And the beautiful thing about the 21st century is there's so many different tools we can use to stay up to date. And so for me, myself, you know, I, there's a couple of different things that I listen to. I think podcasts are a favorite of mine. So, you know, what you guys are doing right now is awesome. I think clinical problem solvers is a great one that I use, which is pretty famous around the nation that actually a gentleman from Case and UH is actually the co-founder of. I use a couple of different things. You know, I'm a, I'm not a big journal or kind of, you know, I don't read as many magazines and stuff as I probably should like nature or Nedgem or these type of things. But the, the beauty is a lot of our virtual or our grand rounds and M&Ms and kind of world-class presenters at Case Western and Cleveland Clinic have all of their lectures online. And so those are usually available for students as well. So I tend to listen to more of those because A, it's faculty that I know and have the opportunity to interact with and I've seen how great they are. And again, they're always at the front of the line of cutting edge kind of technology and research and publications as well. But for, you know, for young guys like yourselves who are you know, just starting out, I think the, the world is your oyster and I think medical technology is going to allow you guys to kind of stay up to date in ways that, you know, are ever going to be changing for sure. Yeah. Have you had a chance to, to use a halo let hollow lens? Hollow lens. I haven't actually. No, it was that. Some like AR VR headset that I know some med students at Case Western are using. I, I do remember like some of the holograms and stuff. I know that the new med school has all sorts of fancy, fancy equipment that I have no idea how to use. So. Yeah, I was wondering about your uh, position at University Hospital. You know, Amar mentioned it before as the acting internship program director. I guess what's that like? Yeah, it was kind of one of the reasons I actually came back. So I, after residency, I went to Northwestern in Chicago and worked there for about a year as a teaching hospitalist, where I got to attend on some teaching services. And that was when the pandemic started. So that was a very interesting experience for sure. And then came back specifically just through the opportunities to kind of take within Case Western Medical School and my own residency program where I did my training. So the acting internship program for some of the listeners who might not know, usually your fourth year of medical school, whatever residency you decide you want to do or pursue, you'll do an acting internship or some places it's called a sub-I, which is kind of your trial out rotation. So it's a one month rotation at the start of your fourth year of med school, where you basically, that's your time to shine. That's where you're basically, you know, working with attendings directly in the field of your interest. You're asking for letters of recommendation. Your, your grades in that rotation really matter a lot for when you're applying to residency. So a colleague of mine and a, a friend of mine actually moved and this position kind of opened up. So I had the opportunity to, to kind of take over the program. So it, it, it's great. You know, I, I get to work with fourth year med students kind of in the peak of their med school training. You know, you get to see them when they're a little bit nervous. They're nervous for applying to residency. So you get to have a, a mentorship role in helping these students kind of achieve whatever their ultimate goals are. You know, for me, I'm never okay with status quo. One of the things that I found interesting about the job and the position was that it really hadn't changed in like 10, 15 years. So it basically kind of been the same one month rotation. Nothing had really changed. So me and actually uh, my co-director decided to kind of completely change things up. We, we decided to kind of modernize it to the 21st century. We wanted to bring in new evaluations. We wanted to start new curriculum. 
to kind of really help med students as they pursue their journey for residency program. And so it's, it's constantly changing, you know, right now in the summer is kind of prime time. So we, we have you know, lots of fourth year med students doing their acting internships in internal medicine at the VA and both at university hospitals, Cleveland Medical Center. And so, you know, it, it's definitely a fun experience to work with. Yeah. Along those lines, like you mentioned those changes, can you just tell us a little bit more of like, what were some of the things that you thought could be done away with and some of the things that you brought in? Yeah. And, you know, that's the benefit of doing your residency at the same program. So I was a resident case, right? So I worked with acting internships and case medical students throughout, you know, their third years and fourth years. And I became friends with a lot of them. And a lot of my classmates went to med school case. So what we kind of did is we retrospectively kind of went back and we asked them like, hey, what did you not like about your AI? What did you like? And it, we basically made all of our changes directly on the feedback that we had gotten. So a lot of the feedback that we had gotten was we wish there was some sort of like standardized built-in curriculum because some of the rotations varied about where you're doing them. So some people, for example, might be doing their one month rotation on a GI service. Some of them might do a general medicine service. Some of them might do an infectious disease service. So depending in, if you're at the VA or you're at the main hospital, the experience kind of vary a lot. And so we try to figure out curriculum that we can instill that would basically standardize your experience no matter where you're at. So that's one big thing that we did. And then we, you know, I, Amar's got to hang out with me a couple of bit. I'm like very down to earth. I like to have fun at work. I think that's super important. You know, I think it's sometimes lost in medicine. It's this like very serious environment. Like we should be having fun too. So I've tried to figure out ways, you know, where we take all of our AIs out to lunch and, and get to interact with Dr. Armitage as our program director so they can have direct one-on-one -on -one contact and exposure with them. We, we try to, you know, give them as many mentoring experiences as possible to go over their personal statements, to go over where they want to apply for residency, what program should I be looking at? So just any ways that we can to kind of shed our experience kind of in the field and with the residency process as a whole, because again, that's what a lot of our students are worried about, especially this time of the year. And so, you know, with all big change comes pushback, right? So do you have like a, a personal framework for dealing with um, adversity? Yeah, I'll tell you, and Amar, we've talked about this extensively. The one thing that I try to do is be very open and honest about everything that I've learned. I think with everything, medical education, residency programs, there's politics, right? And I myself have run into the politics while I was a resident, since I've been attending, since I've been more on a, an admin role. So you're always going to run into adversity of some sort. You know, change is always met with some sort of resistance. And so for me, I think it's just always going back to the core principle about why am I trying to make this change? Who is it going to benefit? And if I think it's truly going to benefit the students at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. And so as long as we have data, as long as we have feedback from the students that that's what they want, I, I so far haven't had significant pushback. There have been some minor changes that I've run into from like a med school grading perspective, like, hey, you can do this, you can't do this, because that's just the way it is. And so, you know, being a low man on the totem pole, I don't have that much power, unfortunately, to make all the changes that I'd like. But I think with anything else, like in life, there's always compromise and there's give and take. And so that's kind of how I've approached it overall. What's your opinion on like mastering instead of like grades? 
I'm loosely associated with some task forces at the M3 level where we've talked a lot about grades. And then again, obviously with the hacking internship, we've talked about grades a lot. I, I think as you guys have probably know, and Zach, you probably know this too from taking step one, or excuse me, the MCAT, right? And recently getting into med school. There is no great system, I don't think, about how do you judge clinicians and how do you judge doctors, right? There's always some baseline level of medical knowledge you got to have. There's always some basic test-taking skills you got to have. But I am like a big advocate that, you know, some of the best clinicians that I've ever seen that like I would want to take care of my family members didn't do great on boards or didn't do great on step one or step two. Right. So I, I think book skills and clinical skills are very different, but I do think there's some kind of baseline like medical knowledge that everyone should have. So when it comes to that question at a med school level, especially, do you do it pass fail? Do you have number grades? Like what is the best system? I think there's definitely pros and cons to both. I personally like more objective data. I, I think it should be a cumulative assessment. So yes, your shelf exams should matter. Your grade should matter. I place a lot of emphasis when I grade my acting interns on their comments. What are your senior residents saying about you? What are your attending residents saying about you? So, you know, I just did a couple of grades actually yesterday for a recent group of AIs and I determined, do they get honors? Do they get like meets expectations based on their objective comments that their attending physicians and seniors say? So they might not have the best shelf scores. They might not have the best board scores. I don't really care because they have like exceptional bedside manner, exceptional presentation skills, exceptional fund of medical knowledge and applying that medical knowledge into a patient, right? It's, it's, it's great to have medical knowledge on a test. Can you actually apply that when you're seeing a real life patient? I think are two completely different things. So, you know, I think there's always this, this rift in medical education, but how do you find the perfect grade? And I think it's a combination of both of those things. So I would lean much more toward you know, when I'm having my med students present to me on rounds, that to me is where I can really tell like, hey, is this someone who really understands the material? Because I've had plenty of people who are really good and can regurgitate studies and facts. But when they see a patient with those exact same findings, aren't able to put two and two together. So that's just the way that I view things. And I think a lot of my colleagues do as well. And I guess to switch gears a bit, you mentioned your interest in business. I was wondering, like, if you could explain a little bit more about that, you know, outside of medicine or integrated with Yeah, that. absolutely. And part of this is the Guju blood in me that I have flowing through my veins, I guess. But and all my daces out there will probably understand that analogy. But I think, you know, the business side of, of medicine really intrigued me about three years ago. I, I've always kind of been a trader and, and been kind of business savvy since I was young. But I really started to get a keen interest in the business side of medicine because it's something that's never talked about. You know, for a reference, I went through med school and residency with not one business lecture. No one taught me on how to find a job. No one taught me on what was important as I was negotiating my first contract. No one taught me about healthcare delivery models and the difference between Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance. And so as I went along throughout residency, especially when I was a third year resident, I started noticing there was a huge lack in medical knowledge of just the business side of medicine specifically. And so I started coming up with a business and medicine curriculum that kind of addresses these kind of needs that we have as a medical community and as a medical education system. And I started that about two years ago and it, it really evolved into my new position since coming back to case. 
And so what we're working on right now specifically is in, at least in the internal medicine world, if you're an intern coming in versus PGY2, PGY3, kind of a structured business curriculum to kind of help you get the basic framework. So when you're done with residency or fellowship and you're looking for your first big boy, big girl attending job, you have some basic kind of business skills to help you land that dream job, to help you in that private practice that you might be trying to negotiate partnership in, to help you understand, hey, how do I actually kind of make my ends meet? Because again, I think finances are so taboo in medicine, right? Medicine obviously is a very altruistic field and we all go into it obviously to take care of patients and make a difference. But at the end of the day, a lot of us come out in hundreds of thousand dollars in debt and we still want to take care of our family and our financial obligations. So I do think there is some responsibility from the medical community to kind of fundamentally teach these business principles. And that's kind of where this interest kind of peaked and it's been really, really well received. And I'm, I'm so thankful for Dr. Armitage and my administrative staff at Case for like letting me kind of run wild with this. And I know the residents have really, really enjoyed it. It's something I'm looking to take to the med school level as well. I don't want to limit this question to like a top three, top five thing, but what, what are the top finance slash business topics every uh, med student should become familiar with? Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm actually giving to the fourth year, or excuse me, the internal medicine interest group at Case Western. We're going to give a business and medicine overview, a 101 overview lecture about what does the landscape in the business and medicine actually look like? And we actually specifically talk about how are physician salaries determined? What's the difference between academic and private versus locums? What's the, the job market actually look like? What are things that you should start thinking about from a basic finance 101 wealth management? These are kind of basic principles, right, that I think can be applied even early on in the med school as, as you're a med student. You can start thinking about these things. You don't necessarily know what you want to do with the rest of your life. You don't need to know like, hey, I want to be an interventional cardiologist in Montana. Like, you don't need to know the specifics. But I think having a general framework of how you want to live your life is really important because there are certain strategies you can implement at a young age. And, you know, Amara, I know you're a business guy too. You know, starting early is key, right? So it's so funny. I give a finance one-on-one wealth management lecture. I actually just gave last week to all the new interns in internal medicine and neurology. And 95% of them, I asked them, how many of you have ever had a business lecture? 95% of them said no. Most of them didn't even know what a 401k or Roth and the difference of that was. So these basic kind of things that, again, if you're putting money into a 401k starting early your intern year, if you're talking three years of residency and three years of fellowship, that's six years of kind of advice that, again, maybe if you'd have known a little early on, that can obviously compound and, and get you a significant head start on whatever your financial goals are. So those are the type of things that we, we hope to kind of educate people on. So, you know, to answer your question, I think the basics of how do physicians get paid? the basics of the difference between academic and private practice and why is there a difference and basic finance 101 wealth management strategies. So understanding, you know, what is a retirement account? How should I start thinking about this since I'm going to be a resident making 60,000 versus when I'm an attending, what are the different financial strategies I could use now that might help me in the future? Mm -hmm. So those are the type of things that I'm kind of working on. right now. And why do you think this has been neglected for so long? I think, I think money's taboo, okay. right? Like, yeah. I, I think when have you ever had any type of, you know, physician or anyone talk about money? It's a very taboo thing because, again, we are an altruistic philanthropic field. 
when people are sick, you know, we never associate a cost with it. But I think that's also part of the reason why our healthcare costs are so outrageous and out of control, right? There's so many layers that come with, you know, healthcare being a business. And I think we all can attest there's so many different players in this business that kind of costs have gotten out of control, but physicians are never taught this. You know, there are a lot of people on the other side, on the admin side, who kind of deal with it. But I think as physicians, we forget. And hence, it's very easy for you as a doctor to order that CT scan, order that extra lab, when you don't really know that there's a cost associated with it. And so that, that what I, that's just what I think that's happened over generations. And that's why I think the business of medicine and just some basic knowledge and, and principles should be a part of medical curriculum for sure. And like regarding those lessons, were there any resources people or books or anything you used along the way to learn those lessons? Yeah, I think there's a lot of them out, out there. I think there's a lot of, you know, white cone investors are a very popular one amongst med students and residents. There's a lot of blogs and podcasts out there that do talk about some of this stuff. But me personally, I think it was just experience having to manage my own finances, being a trader kind of on the side on my own, and then, you know, helping my friends negotiate their contracts. I think has been the biggest thing for me where I've really, really dived deep into this and, and, done, a, and done a lot of self-teaching. So I, you know, like to network and things like that. So I think I've, a lot of my friends along the way who are in the finance wealth management sector, who are investment bankers, things like that, really picking their brains and just kind of learning it for myself was the, the main way I kind of learned this stuff. So are you down to talk about uh, med contracts a little? Yeah. So... You know, we can kind of briefly talk about it. I think me and Amar talked about this recently. One of the things that we realized, again, from an early stage is that there's just such a lack of medical knowledge when it comes to the business side of things, right? We are a bunch of science nerds. Let's, let's call it for what it is, right? We spend all of our time learning science and math and, and learning clinical medicine as we should. But this is an area that's often neglected. And I've just seen a lot of my friends and family members who kind of went off and were kind of taken advantage of, right? By financial advisors, by lawyers, by hospitals and employers, because they didn't understand a lot of these basic principles. So we, you know, a couple of months ago, kind of came up with the idea that there, there's a service that's desperately needed by especially graduating residents and fellows on the physician contract negotiation process. And that's where this idea of a consulting firm kind of was born. And so we're, we're hoping, you know, a lot of this isn't brainstorming. I don't want to kind of give away too much, but I'm, I'm really excited about this potential side venture that we're working on right now called Met Contracts. And hopefully maybe in a couple of months, I'd love to be back on and I can tell you more about it. Leave it at that. Yeah, no, that sounds perfect. Yeah. That'd be a great, like, uh, <laughs> second episode, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll make that for episode two if you guys are back on after all this rambling. Thank you, Dr. Mandavala, for coming on this week's episode of um, MSX. I appreciate you guys having me. And again, for any listeners out there, I think if anything has kind of piqued your interest or especially the business side of medicine or medical education or anything internal medicine related, I'm always happy to kind of reach out again. I can pass along my contact info and that's what I genuinely enjoy to do. So happy to help and mentor any way possible. And thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming.